0: will give me a few moments today, we'll tell you the story of Jesus and his instruction for the church and his instruction for you and I uh, today. Uh, Vance Havner, who is known uh, as to be a friend amongst expositors, uh, Vance Havner once said, We are not moving, not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it but by the combustion within it whereby our lives are ignited by the spirit of god the topic of our this sermon this morning will be a demonstration of the holy spirit of god and how the Holy Spirit of God was at work through the life of the early church and how you and I today would be moved and enabled by the Holy Spirit. If you will stand with me as we read God's Word in recognition of the holy, infallible, and errant Word of God, the sermon entitled today will be Proofs of a Changed Life. We'll begin chapter 2. verse 1 and read through verse 13 lord will permit me just a few moments this morning we will preach and work through proofs of a changed life verse 1 chapter 2 when the day of pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and and, and, uh, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language in our own tongue the mighty works of god and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mocking said well they're filled with new wine lord we pray that you would give us understanding of the word give us consideration of the words here before us today and father we pray that as we read and study together And we will be moved by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Father, may your Holy Spirit illumine to our heart and mind and give us understanding and help us, Father, to move out into the world and to be on mission for you wherever we go. Give us that empowerment. Give us that strength. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you ask a person about the book of Acts who has spent any time reading reading the Bible, if you ask a person what do they think of when they think of the book of Acts, most of the time you'll hear somebody say something in relation to the second chapter, particularly in the reference of speaking in tongues. Others, when they are asked with this question, would gravitate towards the miracles that we find through the vessels of the apostles. The apostles were the vessels that God used to bring about these miraculous events in the book of Acts. Others might still gravitate toward the end of chapter 2 that the early church was selling their possessions and giving to those who were in need. And others might gravitate to Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of the apostle Paul, how, how Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was forever changed. And you might gravitate there and... You might find your footing in the book of Acts there, but my intentions while working through the book of Acts is to display the biblical precedence of seeking the Lord's empowerment in our lives. To seek God's empowerment in our lives. And what will that look like in 2023? Will it look like Piney Grove speaking in tongues? Will it look like us doing miracles? Will it look like other different things that are non, that doesn't resemble the book of, of Acts? Or what might we find in the book of Acts that would help us today? I want you to remember that the book of Acts is not a prescriptive book. It means that there are commands in the book of Acts, but the overall thrust of the book is history, letting us know what the, the apostles and the disciples did in reference to Jesus. Commands And yes, there are commands. And when we find those great examples, we will surely highlight those and those examples that are pertinent to our lives. So far, we have been challenged on the importance of a couple of things. We have been challenged on the truth of togetherness. Last week, you remember, we talked about being in one accord and how that is a bond that ties us together that is stronger than death so there is true togetherness there is prayer so they were gathered in the upper room they were together in fellowship and they were praying fervently last week we saw the choosing of matthias to fill the spot of the traitor judas iscariot and an early framework of discipleship was laid looking back into verse 14 of chapter 1 the bible says that all of these, they were with one accord, and they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so we find togetherness, unity, we find fervent prayer, being of one mind, being of one mission, anticipating the work of the Lord Jesus. But I want you to understand something about this time of fervent prayer. This time of fervent prayer... It was not because of their fervent prayer that the Holy Spirit came upon them. They did not pray down the Holy Spirit, which is in today's time in God's Word what I want to talk about to you today is what happened in this upper room on the day of Pentecost. The apostles, they did not have to do anything to activate the Holy Spirit as if their prayers were some type of spell to be cast. They didn't have to do anything to activate the Holy Spirit to get the Spirit of God to fall upon them. God was going to bring His plan into action, whether they prayed for it or not. And God is sovereign, and He is holy. After the calling of Matthias, the stage is set for another great moment in history, and that would be the birth of the church. Now, today we're going to look at the miracle that occurred in the day of Pentecost and see how this might affect us today. But I want you to know, without the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, our ministry and our lives are hopeless. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that without the risen Lord, our faith is vain, it is worthless. So without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Enabling us and moving us, we are as well hopeless. But as I read these passages, I read these first 13, these 13 passages, uh, verses in Acts chapter 2. As I read these passages, I see how the Holy Spirit enables. How the Holy Spirit enables. This was the whole premise of Jesus and his prediction of the Comforter, the Spirit. But you cannot go into the world. You cannot go into the Acts 1-8. You can't go into the world unless you are endued from power from Him. In verse 1 it says, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples and apostles, were all together in one place. Again, there is that theme of togetherness, gospel community. This is the first time in history... In what we would consider biblical history where the holy spirit moved upon his people in this in this way in this most profound way now his people are defined by the work of the son jesus and their mission is more now than just jerusalem but they can't go out in their own strength and in their own power a proper interpretation of the law of god and the torah the writings and the prophets A proper interpretation of God's word and a charting through history would have shown that God is a God of the whosoever will. God is a God of the whosoever will. So it makes us think about uncleanliness. It makes us think about those that were pronounced unclean. And what we find is uncleanliness was not based upon ethnicity spiritual uncleanliness was never based upon ethnicity but it was always based upon sinfulness and farness from god farness from god and sin now the death and the resurrection of jesus is bringing people closer and better yet the holy spirit brings them even closer together jesus said of himself He said, I must go away so that the Comforter may come. And we find that in John 16 and verse 7. I must go away so that the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit may come. Notice in verse 1, the day of Pentecost is mentioned. And in case we tend to overlook this, we want to talk about the importance of the day of Pentecost. And it is very important, the day of Pentecost. In fact... It is one of the reasons that we sit here today on the first day of the week. So I want you to chart with me as we talk about the day of Pentecost. Another name for this day, this very Jewish festival was called the Feast of Pentecost. It was called the Feast of Weeks. It was called the Feast of Harvest. It was called the Feast of First Fruits. Day one of Pentecost would start the day after the Passover. The 50th day would be, or thereafter would be, this time of great celebration. Pentecost just simply means 50th. And so it would be held this 50 days from the feast, uh, a feast of first fruits we find in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, verse 15 through 22. Leviticus 23, for those who might want that reference verses 15 through 22 so here's where we track together what is so important about the day of Pentecost all right according to Leviticus 23 there had to be a sacrificial lamb and what was the criteria for this sacrificial lamb sacrificial lamb as we read in Leviticus 23 is that you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord Now, Peter, writing in his letter that bears his name, in chapter 1, verse 19, says this, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So now, Jesus is the true everlasting Passover lamb. He is what they call the Pascal lamb, the Passover lamb without spot, without blemish, who came to take away the sins of the world. So, the Passover pictures the death, and the Feast of Passover pictures the resurrection from the dead, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what is born on the day of Pentecost? The church. The Feast of First Fruits took place the day after the Sabbath following the Passover. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And here's where we draw the connection. If Pentecost was 50 days. Later, seven weeks plus one day, then Pentecost also took place on the first day of the week. You and I meet together on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week and the church was birthed on the first day of the week as well. So, Pentecost is very important for our history. Not only Jewish history, but our history as followers of Christ. In verse 2, so here's what happened they're all together suddenly there came a sound from heaven a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and it was imperative that the holy spirit must come now it had been 40 plus days and jesus was walking on the earth and uh, after his resurrection this is the perfect time the comforter must arrive now again the disciples they did not have to pray in order for the holy spirit to come they didn't have to meet any criteria to unlock the sovereignty of God if they did then God wouldn't be sovereign and so here God is he simply sent his son to to dwell with them he sent his Holy Spirit to to dwell within them and now they're witnessing this event and they heard a sound from heaven and I, I tried to get into the heart and mind of the evangelist Luke who described it as best he could. If I could paraphrase Luke the evangelist, it might sound something like this. The disciples, they were just praying and waiting, and all of a sudden we heard this, heard this sound that we never, we never heard before. It sounded like a, a mighty wind that come through this whole upper room. And again, there was no mistaking, this was a work from God Almighty. God was doing this. You couldn't have walked out of there and said, ah, they were drunk with wine, even though some did. There was no mistaking that this was a work from God. The Bible tells us in verse 3, Then divided tongues as fire appeared on them, each of them, and it rested above them. What looked like a, a flame of fire, a tongue of fire, rested over each one of them. They saw tongues like fire, and it rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were all filled with the Spirit of God. They began to speak in other languages, other than their own. And this would have been known a known language throughout the whole world. Some try to attribute this to a heavenly language, but these are languages that were known throughout the world at that time. I see what Jesus said about the uttermost parts, do you remember what Jesus said about the uttermost parts of the world in Acts 1 and verse 8? What Jesus said about the uttermost parts of the world, we now see and hear through the languages. Because in one instance in history, there was a separating of humankind, a dividing of the languages at the Tower of Babel. And now there is a bringing back together through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and by a movement of the Holy Spirit. Where there was a separation, now there is a bringing back together under the work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of tongues, so let's, let's navigate here for a little bit. The gift of tongues was to let people know that the gospel is for the whole world and that what God was doing is authentic. This is a work of, of, of God. And so they spoke in other tongues. There was a bringing back together of the languages. For years, there would have been those who would advocate, and I know some folks, they would say, well, if you are truly um, Spirit-led, full of the Spirit, uh, you would be able to speak in tongues. I even know folks who would say that uh, if you're baptized and you come up out of the water and you don't speak in tongues, you're not genuinely saved. Well, I have a hard time finding that in, in, in my Bible. And if I was to do a search for those folks who advocate a current day speaking in tongues, there are 28 different denominations that we know of right now who encourage or advocate the speaking in tongues as one of their main tenets for what they believe. Now, may I say this? I have friends who are in some of these denominations, what I would consider orthodox denominations, in that they believe in the virgin birth of Jesus... They believe in his substitutionary atonement on the cross. and They believe he rose from the dead and was genuinely resurrected and that he died for their sins. And based upon that, they're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. But this is where we would divide. This is where we divide on what we, what we believe. I would never stand here today and say that speaking in tongues no longer exists. Why? Because the point of Acts chapter 2 in the verses that I read is not even about the teaching, not even about the doctrine of speaking in tongues. And how do we know this? Well, there was no command other than to go. There was no command that ever says from the Holy Spirit of God, now you go and you speak in an unknown language. There is no command that we find that says that all Christ followers everywhere will speak in tongues There's not a command that says now you will go to your Jerusalem Samaria Judea uttermost parts and speak in tongues there No, there was no command that was given and so there is no reason There is no point to make the gift of tongues the main point of chapter 2 in the book of Acts When speaking in tongues becomes more important as far as how spiritual or how how holy a person is then they aren't giving glory to god as that gift i have issue with that the point was god was bringing many people together for this great work at this time in history and the holy spirit represented by speaking in an unknown language was that indicator god is doing this god is bringing the globe the globe together He's bringing people together. The words of the Apostle Paul was very helpful here. As he said this in 1 Corinthians 14 and 18. That he thanks God for speaking in tongues. But then he says this. This is what Paul says. Hopefully we know this verse, very familiar verse. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And that word there is an unknown language. In short, the gift of tongues is served as a purpose, as we will find every miracle that we find in Scripture. Now here they are in this upper room. It was bringing together a people group, a people of God, and to authenticate that this was a work from the Lord. How do we know this? How do we know that this was a bridging together and bringing about all people groups? How do we know that this was people from around the globe? Well, we look at Scripture. We believe that Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says, Now they were dwelling, there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from where? From every nation under heaven. God is bringing together people to go out to the world. But what do we learn from this movement of the Holy Spirit in this upper room? Do we learn that we should be speaking in tongues or that we're not spiritual if we don't? Or are we missing something? What are we missing The tongues of fire symbolize the powerful witness of the church to the people. And here are three signs that prove the coming of the Holy Spirit. Number one, there was a sound of a rushing wind. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The best way that Luke can describe it was this sound. There was tongues of fire. They spoke in these languages, unknown languages, or uh, languages that were not known to the person. And here is the kicker. Here's what I want us to take away from this. Here is, here is how we see three signs that prove the coming of the Holy Spirit. Okay, The last one is this. That one of the fruits of a person born of the Spirit of God is that they will be praising God. They will be praising God through thick, through thin, through difficulty, through easiness. See here, proof of a changed life by God is that they will be praising, continually praising, praising God as they go out into the world. Not only does the Holy Spirit, uh, not only does the Holy Spirit of God enable us and enable Christ followers to go, but the Holy Spirit of God also brings clarity, brings clarity. Do you believe that the Lord is not a God of confusion? Amen. Verse 6 says, At this sound of this mighty rushing wind, the multitude came together. There's that terminology again. They came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Amazing thing happening here everyone was speaking a different language and dialect and they all heard and understood one another and i consider this truly a miracle from god this is something that only god could orchestrate this is something that only god can do many people from around the world were coming together because at the end of this 50 days they were brought together to look for a movement of god and here it was they were confused and they were trying to rationally explain what they were hearing. They didn't quite understand. They were bewildered and began to ask questions and the Holy Spirit begins to bring clarity by the Apostle Peter. God at Babel separated the language and now here is a bringing together. A bringing together of his people. There is one word that is used for, uh, for this um, Some translations use for tongues or languages. And the King James uses both of those, tongues or language. You might have a a Bible that just translates tongues or simply language, both or one or the other. There's one word that is used uh, in both of those terms. The word is where we would get our word dialect from. And another occasion would be where we get our word for glossary. All right, So one would be glossary of words... And the other would be dialect, meaning this. Not only were many languages represented there, but there were also other dialects within those languages. Look at verse 7. And they were amazed and they were astonished and they were saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And we've seen this before when Peter was being pressed about whether or not he was a servant of Jesus. Remember when he was standing and they said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? You're one of them. We know you are. What gave, what gave Peter away? It was his Galilean accent. And so who are all these who are speaking? Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? How can I understand all these dialects from all over? As we've already seen in verse 5, these are people all over, from all over the globe. Initially, there is confusion, and they begin to ask questions. I mean, who could blame them for asking questions? I mean, this is a new era. To be amazed, look at that in verse 7, to be amazed is, means to be beside oneself. So I'm amazed so much so I'm beside myself, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I really don't know how to comprehend what I'm seeing. And then to be astonished is to continue in this wonder. Have you ever just, you saw something and you couldn't hard believe it and you just like froze? You ever been there? You saw something, you couldn't, you couldn't get, get your mind around it and you're trying to, to process it and you, and you are astonished or you continue in this wonder. I want to give you an example <laughs> that might help you visualize this, um, this amazement and astonishment. Okay, so one day, I returned home after being gone for a few hours. And um, I walk into the house and I find my dog Franklin, who was a puppy at the time. He had chewed up a stack of napkins, styrofoam bowls, little plastic plates, and a couple of light bulbs. Yes, and here's a picture of him. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. Uh, Franklin is laying over there. It's hard to see him, but he's laying there with this sad look on his face. So I stood there, walked in the door in amazement, going over in my head, what am I seeing? And then astonished that he was able to chew up light bulbs without injury. And then after being amazed beside myself and being there in astonishment, standing there continuing in wonder, you can change that slide. Then I went into discipleship mode or discipline mode. Yeah. Discipline mode followed. Those in the upper room, we don't see this... (laughs) This discipline here but what we do find is beside themselves and continuing in this wonder just to remind them of the ends of the earth they hear these languages from all over the place to remind them that it's not just about jerusalem anymore it's about the parthians the medes and the elamites and the residents of mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, and Pontus, which is parts of Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, which is parts of Asia, little segments of Asia Minor, and then Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, which would indicate that they're talking about the known world. Rome was the world at that time. Rome was the known world at that time. Both Jews and proselytes and Arab countries, Cretans and and, um, Arabians, we... We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. We can understand one another. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Well, what does this what does this mean? It's a good question. What does all this mean? Here is a question I think that we ask. The Holy Spirit gives clarity and not confusion. The others said mockingly, Well, they were filled with new wine. They're drunk. It means barely nine o'clock in the days early in the morning and here they are drunk with some type of new wine and you know there will always be mockers there will always be people who will mock a work of the lord there will always be those who doubt the work of of god but i want you to notice what peter does to denounce said mockery and skepticism now we'll dive into this a little bit more next time we jump into acts the first of february but I want you to notice what Peter does. So, glance with me very quickly, verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed and addressed them. What does Peter do? What does Peter do? He begins to preach. He begins to expound from God's word, walking through their history, condemning those who condemn Jesus. See, the clarity comes through the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the Word of God. Clarity comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the Word of God. Every time we open God's Word, we ought to ask, God, what are you saying? What can I know of God? What can I know of Jesus? What can I know about my fallenness? And God, how can I be counted justified? Then we as the church ask, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Or in verse 12, what does all this mean? What does this mean? What do we learn from these verses in regards to what do we need to do? What is it that compels us in these 13, 14 verses even? I want you to notice three things that immediately precede the outpouring Of the Holy Spirit. Number one, they were a complete congregation. They were a complete congregation. There was a precedence that was set to meet together in one accord. We find this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, where the author of Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembling together, doesn't he? Do not neglect to meet together with others to raise the banner of Jesus, to worship in one accord. They were all in one place and there were no absentees. They didn't, have to take an, they didn't have to take role. They didn't have to see who was going to be on the Sunday school roster. They didn't have to see who was going to be there and whether or not they were going to get a perfect attendance certificate or not. There were no absentees. It was that important. Archibald Brown, a contemporary of Charles, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said, It was, in fact, an early Sunday morning prayer meeting with everyone present. Always before a great blessing, there will be a revived interest in sanctuary services. The half-truth, listen to what he says, The half-truth, I can worship God as well at home, which is a complete lie when the man is able to come to the sanctuary and does not, he says that that lie, I can worship God at home as well, will not be heard. You found, listen, this kind of dates it a little bit, but it says, you found that 11 o'clock this morning was too early for you to come to worship, but I will guarantee that you will catch the 8 o'clock excursion train tomorrow morning. You can put anything in there, work. Whatever. So there was a complete congregation. Part of this also was there was a congregation that was there with one accord. They were a congregation in one accord. Then there was a congregation that was steeped in prayer and anticipation. They were a praying congregation. They were a congregation that was anticipating a work of from God. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them. Again, what is the meaning of all this? In this one moment, their lives are completely changed. Their demeanor will change. Their motives will change. Their allegiances will change. Their worldview will certainly change. Their mission will change. It will be... Not so much about Jerusalem as it will be our Gentile friends in other places. Their theology will change. Now there's no need to bring a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. Now Jesus is the holy place. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the High Priest. Because God's people are renewed through the work. The Son of God and they are now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. He is now God is now pleased. He is pleased to work on the world through the church. But we've got to be together. We have to be together, steeped in prayer and a fellowship. Now, see these guys, they weren't drunk on wine. As they say, they weren't drunk on wine. But if we could borrow some of that language, they were under the influence of a new life in Christ, empowered to take on the world By the Holy Spirit of God. So here's my question to you. However this looks, it starts small. It might start with small group. It might start with discipleship. It might start somewhere small. It might turn into some big mission for us. But I'll ask you, will you join me as we seek to take on the world in the name of Jesus? Once more, the the words of A.G. Brown... Again, a contemporary of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Archibald Brown came to mind here. He said, the vessel is the church. The vessel is the church. The Holy Ghost is the tide. The ropes and the windlass are human agencies only to be used in dependence on the tide. The tide is coming in. The church feels its power. She moves. She rises. Oh God, send the billow that shall float her now and send her, that is the church, careering on her course with the breeze of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me on that? Would you join me to take on the world in the name of Jesus? Let's pray together.